That's why it's echoing like that. Also, um, one of the lights up here is busted, so somebody might be up here on a ladder. So just ignore it. <laughs> All right, so our, we are on class number six of the core seminars for marriage. <clears throat> and this is titled uh, Beautiful Wives and Considerate Husbands. And it's basically going to be an exposition of 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Okay, so um, I'm not the world's greatest exegete, but I'm going to do, try to serve you as best I can here in this area. And the reason that this particular passage is being looked at is because it's, it's pretty, it's a little controversial in our day and age. So we want to make sure we're looking at passages like this. Also, the other um, thing is, is that is it going to be, um, I'm trying to be as practical as possible in, you know, in this, in these studies to try to be, try to give you more practical ways to actually apply these things so it's not so theoretical. So it will be a lot of practical application here, so. All right, so we'll, we'll go ahead and get started. So again, I'm going to read our text is First Peter chapter 3, verse is 3. I'm sorry, verses 1 through 7, and the word of God reads, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they, are with, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the word of the Lord. So if you're following along on your handout, we have um, three sections. I'm sorry, it should have been four sections. It's... So it's Actually, it's two main sections, wives and husbands, and then a subsection for wives is mission through submission, real beauty, and then fear versus hope, and then the last husbands is considerate husbands. So yes, it's far more uh, text towards the women. It's not my fault. I didn't write it. Send the scriptures that way, okay? You'll understand once we go through this why that's the case, Okay. So that's one of the reasons why this passage is so controversial, right? Is because it seems like it's just this, like, heavy emphasis on submission, the woman submitting. So um, that makes it a controversial passage. But I want to encourage you, once we actually go through this, you'll understand why that's the case, okay? It's not, that's not by accident. It's not arbitrary. It's, it's by design. Now it's controversial. Yes, now it's controversial. I, I, 
Yeah, it was, it's, I mean, I, it, I suspect it was controversial when it was written, but for different reasons, okay? Um, so here's the thing. So we cannot dismiss this passage as a temporary command, a concession, or an adaptation to the times that the church must eventually outgrow. So you'll hear some Christians say when they get to verses like this, they'll say, some self-professed Christians, they'll say that this passage was for those people at that time and it doesn't apply to us now. That's not true, okay? Now, um, this text in no way alludes to any kind of temporary counsel and the context of this passage rules out any kind of that type of interpretation. You'll see that once we go through it. Also, um, the passage we're in today, um, this passage, it offends people, it divides people. Many contemporary readers read this and they just, they don't like it, okay? And um, when Peter tells wives to submit to their husbands, they particularly, I need less space. They particularly don't like the verse six where it says to obey your husbands, right? So you will have modern contemporary women will see, hear this and roll their eyes, groan probably, okay? And that is because, and some of us do that because we have allowed contemporary gender debates and definitions to color the way that we interpret the Bible, okay? So it's better for us to not to try to explain these verses away, but it's better for us to just acknowledge that we have preferences. Many of us, particularly contemporary women, just, you just need to admit you're coming to the Bible with ungodly preferences. Just admit it, okay? And we need to, to have the, the, the word of God shape whether or not our preferences are good or bad. That makes sense to you? So just admit you're coming to the Bible you don't like some of the things that the Bible says, but you just need, or you don't like some of the things that you've heard. You don't like some of the things that you heard, so now you need to let the Bible shape whether or not your preferences are good or not. That makes sense to you? Okay. Now, just right off the bat, the Word of God is infallible. You are not. Okay? The Word of God is infallible. You are not. And we must admit that we are influenced by the world's thinking. We have to admit that. Right, and we have an adversary. Satan is very crafty. Right, he's not coming to you, to us, with a full frontal assault. He's he's much more crafty than that. You understand what I'm saying? So, we you will hear us a lot talk about. You'll hear a lot of Christians in a like mainstream talk a lot about feminism, like about how terrible feminism is. I will submit to you that all feminism is, is an outworking of male chauvinism. Okay, hold on one second. Hello, is that better? Okay. So, listen, feminism is just 
It's ringing. You need to take some of the highs down a lot. Okay. Um, and some, there you go. So feminism is an outworking of male chauvinism. Okay? That's what it is. So here, let me explain this to you. You had some men, some wicked, evil men who wanted access to women's bodies without the responsibility of being covenanted to these women in a marriage relationship, okay? And the only way that they was gonna be able to do that was either take it from you by force or trick the women into thinking this is the right way to go, right? So what they did was they packaged it up to you and sold it to you as freedom, right? They packaged it up, sold it to you as freedom, and so now you have an entire generation of young women who are literally submitting to a bunch of men who are not their husbands, okay? Ungodly men have like two things on their mind, okay? They want to have as much sex with women as they can without the responsibility of being their husbands, and when they're not sleeping with them, they wanna see as much skin as possible, right? And the only way they're gonna get you to do that is they gotta have enough power to force you to do it or make you want to do it, right? And so they sold it to you as women's liberation, right? And so, I'm, and so what submission is, is you are voluntarily doing what somebody's asking you to do. So every promiscuous young lady is freely and willingly submitting herself to every man that she's sleeping with. You understand? You got a bunch of ungodly men running around here who want to see as much skin as possible. So what they do is they sell it to you as freedom, and then you go around and you say, I can wear what I want to wear. And he's like, getting exactly what he wants. Okay? It's, it's, it's diabolical. It's actually very brilliant. Because his hands are clean. And you're fighting. You're actually fighting to give him what he wants. And he has zero responsibility. You hear me, young ladies? It's diabolical. It's actually brilliant. Okay? You couldn't come up with a better plan. Okay? And so we've been greatly influenced by this concept. This has, is, is, is crept into the church, right? And that's why every time you talk about the issue of modesty, you got all the women going crazy. And all you're doing is fighting for a bunch of no good, lazy, ungodly men to, 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 give, you, to give them what they wanted in the first place, right? And they just package it up and sold it to you as freedom. So that is what's coloring a lot of our interpretations when we get to the Bible verses like this, okay? And so I'm challenging all of us today in this area. If you read your Bible 
and it never challenges you, it's never challenging you, it's, you don't never read hard things, you're not reading it right. Okay, it's supposed to be sanctifying you. It's supposed to be you read it and you go, I don't like that. That's not the way that I think. That the, you're, you need to be saved because your thinking is messed up. Part of the reason is that your thinking is messed up, right? You need to have your mind conformed to the image of God, right? Your thinking needs to be conformed to God in his word. That means it's not now. So if you're coming to the Bible and it's rubbing you the wrong way, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay? But you're still wrong. Because the, the word of God is always right. So that's how we are. That's why you get all of this noise when you get to these passages about submission and modesty and how people ought to dress. Because you got sold a bill of goods. Don't drink it. That makes sense to you? So here in 1 Peter 3, 1, it says this. So we got six ver- seven verses in total that we're going to go through. The first six verses are to the wives, and then the last verse is to the husbands. So you have this idea here in, fir- in verse 1, verses 1 through 2. It's titled Mission Through Submission. Mission Through Submission. So verses 1 through 2 reads, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So the first word you need to recognize there is the word likewise. The use of this word is Peter is instructing Christian wives to do something, which is to submit, in the same way that somebody else or someone else did. So the question here is obviously who is Peter pointing the wives back to? What pattern is he pointing the wives back to follow is the question, right? So the first question is quite odd. The first answer is quite obvious. It's Jesus. He's, he's pointing you back to Christ. Your submission to husbands should be similar to Christ's submission. Okay, and then the other are believers in various <clears throat> stations in life. So if you remember, Pastor Ed has been preaching, right? Uh, 1 Peter 2, 13 is talking about submission to the government. 1 Peter 2, 18 is talking about slaves submitting to masters. 1 Peter 1, or 1 Peter 3, 7 tells husbands to likewise submit to their wives, but in a different way. And then verse, 1 Peter 5, 5 is telling youngers to submit to the elders. Okay? So Christian submission is part and parcel of being part of the Christian life. Wives are just supposed to have, wives are being in this verse instructed to submit in a particular type of way but it's to a particular person their own husbands and in a particular way like christ submitted right <clears throat> so the 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 in there the, if you this verse the context of this verse is set within it comes so if this is chapter three chapter three came right after chapter two okay <laughs> so if you read the end of chapter two it says this for, for to this you have been called. It's verse 21. 1 Peter 2, 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. 
When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. And then he says, likewise, wives submit to your own husbands. So if you, so if you notice this here, right? The wife's submission is supposed to be modeled after Christ's submission. And he says in verse 21, Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. So Jesus' suffering is our pattern because it is our salvation. So he's providing both the pattern and the motive. You should submit like Jesus did, and the reason you should submit like Jesus did is because he saved you. So you got the motivation and how you should be doing it. Okay? So his suffering does not simply guide us, but it also motivates you. That make sense to you? It's not just a pattern. It's not simply just an example, but it's an example plus a motivation. Okay? So because his suffering made us free from sin, we are to follow his pattern. Okay? That makes sense to you. So no one else in all of human history has had the status and honor as Jesus Christ. He's the son of God. Okay? Precious and chosen is what the Bible says about him. The cornerstone. Okay? There has never been a human being that has walked the face of this earth that has more dignity, deserves more honor, and is more precious than the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Right? Yet, Jesus washed Peter's feet like a, like a domestic slave. The king of glory condescends and washes his disciples' feet. Okay? And washing his feet, washing Peter's feet was nothing compared to the fact that he voluntarily bore the humiliation of the cross and died like a common criminal. You understand? The king of glory left heaven in unapproachable light, condescended into the earth, and died like a common criminal. Submitted himself in obedience to the Father to save us. Okay? That's the pattern we are to follow when we talk about submission. Okay? And Peter's calling us to follow Christ's example in all of our relationships. Okay? Maintain, listen, so our role when we submit like Christ, our aim, main, I'm sorry, maintaining your rights should not, is not your prize priority when you're submitting. That makes sense to you? Maintaining your rights is, should, is not your highest priority. That's not your highest priority. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter like 6 through 14 is all about. It's just a bunch of different scenarios of people waiving their rights. You have the right to, to drink. But if it's going to cause your brothers to stumble, what should you do? You should not exercise it. You have the right to eat meat unto idols because idols aren't real. 
But if it's going to cause your weaker brother to stumble, should you exercise your right or not? No, you shouldn't. Why? For the sake of somebody else. That's what your Savior did. For your sake, he submitted himself to benefit you. So your holding, grasping on to your rights is not your highest priority when you submit. Okay? Jesus trusted the Father, the righteous judge, to vindicate him. That's what we should do when we submit. Okay? Christians, the, a Christian who is serious about following Jesus will not fight to hold on to their privileges. Okay? Pastor Rolo is preaching today through Luke chapter 4, and I'm pretty certain he's going to talk about this. Okay? This is, this is the definition of Christianity. Okay? So, the Christian is rather to seek opportunities to imitate Christ in a willing subjection and service to their Lord. So you submit to others because you're submitting to God, ultimately. Okay? So furthermore, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, it says this, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So Peter's pointing to this idea that Christian lifestyle, a Christian's lifestyle, has the potential to force hostile unbelievers to recognize the glory of God. Okay? And then he says a similar thing in 1 Peter 3, 16 through 17. Right? It says, but in your hearts, honor Christ as holy. Honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it in gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. Listen to the purpose. So that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Right? And so in, a, in, in this context, the wife's sub, part of the, the, the purpose of the wife's submission is missionary. Right? Because in this particular context, he's talking about a wife who's married to an unbelieving husband. Right? And you're using this as an opportunity to potentially save your husband. Right? So this submission here is, is, has a missionary, like, evangelical-type function, right? So the wives are to be submissive to their own husbands, like I said, so that unbelieving husbands may be won over to the faith. So he's speaking of submission, as, again, as a means of evangelism, a wife's willingness to follow her husband's leadership, her willingness to respect him, willingness to show love to her husband, and all of this is supposed to witness to the gospel. Now, we talked about this over the last couple of weeks. Submission is not universal. Your husband cannot, if he's asking you to sin, you're supposed to be like, no, I can't do that. I'm, I have to serve God rather than men. He does not have the right to ask you to violate the word of God. That's not submission. Okay? He cannot do that. That's not what the scriptures are asking you to do. Right? If there's, I just want to be clear about this, if there's physical violence involved, you need to call the police. <laughs> the, the scripture is not calling you to submit to that. That is not true. That is from the pit. You, your, your submission is to, to follow this man as you follow the Lord. 
right? When they start stepping outside of the boundaries of that, you don't follow them. Okay, I just want to be 100% clear about this. And on, on the other ditch, we ain't talking about your feelings either. Okay, we're talking about what the scripture say. Okay, you might feel like all bent out of shape because he ain't doing what you want to do. That ain't what we're talking about. Is he asking you to violate the word of God? Right? If he is, then no. Okay? So, in verse 1, it says, husbands that do not obey. Uh, uh, some translations say husbands that do not believe the word. It's simply just talking about an unbeliever. Okay? So, an un it is possible that an unbelieving husband may be won over to the faith by the godly, reverent behavior of his wife. Of his wife. I, I'm pretty sure all of us can tell stories about some godly woman that they knew whose husband was unsaved and she prayed for that man for 50 years. I'm pretty sure it, you talk to some of these older saints, they can tell you stories about that. Okay? You're probably not going to hear that today because everybody today just get divorced. Okay? Ir for irreconcilable differences. In the past, that's not how it was. They stuck it out because they believed God. Right? Now, you can safely assume that Peter is not condemning verbal evangelism. Okay? But what's happening here in this particular case is, is that it's clear this man is not a believer. He doesn't believe the gospel. So, in this particular context, is that the words obviously have not been effective. So he's encouraging his the wives here to persist in letting their godly lives be a witness to the gospel. Okay, he wants a wife to let her pure and reverent life also be a witness to her husband. Okay, let me give you some historical context. While this is super important for us to really get our head around, because in this day, at the time of the writing, the cultural assumption was that the wife would adopt the religion of her husband. Okay? So, however, a Christian woman, upon conversion, could no longer participate in, in, in idol worship anymore. Okay? So, since in the Greco-Roman world, the wife was expecting to share her husband's faith, she, her refusing to to submit to his religion, to submit to his idolatrous um, um, idol worship would be seen as rebellious, right? He's like, we're going to the temple, about to go kill some goats and throw some, um, worship Diana. And she's going to say, not doing it, can't do it, sorry, love you, but I can't worship a false god. So she's going to look as rebellious, look like she's rebellious, she's being rebellious. And so for this reason, Peter is telling godly woman, a godly woman to conduct yourselves in a way that demonstrates respect for your husband in order to mitigate the potential charge of treason that's going to come when you refuse to sin with him. That makes sense to you? Do you understand that, ladies? When you refuse to sin with your husband, he's going to call you a traitor. You understand that? He's going to call you a traitor. And he's going, to, he's going to say you're being unsubmissive. Right? That's what's going to happen. So what Peter is saying here is, is like, don't, 
just don't add fuel to the fire. Don't add fuel to the fire. Where you can submit to him, submit to him. That's what he's saying here. That makes sense to you? Furthermore, if you remember Pastor Ed's sermon over the last <clears throat> three weeks, this book is calling on believers and telling them how to conduct themselves in the midst of suffering. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, how to be a faithful disciple of Christ in a godless world. So if you remember last week's sermon, I talked about how we're sojourners and exiles in the world and that we must abstain from these fleshly passions that's warring against us. And all of this culminated in this idea that the Christian lifestyle, in a sense, is apologetic, right? Our lifestyles as Christian is so that we should live in such a way that unbelievers notice to the point that at some point they're going to glorify God. So if you remember, one of the things I said was God saved you in order to pray and live obediently in the world so that they could see that Jesus is king. Okay? That's what your lifestyle is supposed to look like. That man right there, that, that woman right there believes that Jesus is king. And so if you are a, a, a woman married to an unbelieving husband, he should know she submits to Jesus first and foremost. That makes sense to you? So if he should know, if I ask her to do something that's going to go against Christ, she's going to tell me no. That makes sense to you? Okay. And I want you to remember <clears throat> the last sessions we talked about touched on this idea of submission, right? A wife does not submit to her husband because he demands it. That's not submission. Submission is voluntary. I, I, I made a mistake last week. Some of the uh, older ladies corrected me. Praise God for, for these women. They, I said something that I shouldn't have said. It was wrong, and I want to correct it. I said that if you agree with it, it's probably not submission. That's not true. You, if you're agreeing with it, whether you agree with it or not is not whether or not it's submission. Okay? It's if you do it. Willingly is what makes it submission. If you want to do it and you do it willingly, it's submission. All right? As long as that's not sin. As long as it's not sin. Because, I mean, you could, cause you, people submit to sin all the time. Right? But the, the, the question is what's the definition of submission? It's voluntary. Okay, submission is voluntary. If your husband is beating you over the head with something, not physically, but like forcing you, woman, submit, woman, submit, you better submit. And you're just, you're being ordered to do so? It's probably not submission. It's supposed to be voluntary. Okay? And so you're doing that because you want to show the world that my king is Christ. I'm going to do what he says. Okay? So a wife submits to her husband because she trusts God. Right? And desires to follow the word of the Lord. And that's why Paul said in Ephesians 5.22, like we went over last week, why submit to your husband as to the Lord. So it's a willingness to align her life around the gospel and around the word of God in stark contrast to the rebellion 
of the world and possibly, quite possibly, even her own husband. You, you understand that? So her submission is that it's supposed to be a willingly, a willingness to align her life with the word of God. And it's supposed to contrast with the unbelieving world, if possibly even her husband. Because if he's asking her to sin, she has to say no. Right? Because her king is Christ above everything. So hopefully the Lord will use this contrast to prick the conscience of unbelievers and convict them of their sin. Do you understand? So they see you obeying God. They see you submitting God to God in these kind of situations. And at some point they come to the realization, if that's what it means to be saved, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I'm not one. Do you understand? That's what your lifestyle is supposed to look like. And you, it's supposed to look like that without you speaking. That makes sense to you? Not saying that you should not speak. I'm just saying that your life should speak as well. You know I don't believe in evangelism without talking to people. I beat that horse to death already. Okay? Sure, yeah. No, no, no. But so this is what I said earlier. So this whole context is submitting to different, submitting to government, submitting to elders, submitting to um, masters, submitting to slaves. It's all these different, um, different areas where submission is happening. This particular one is wives to husbands and even more particularly wives married to unbelieving husbands, right? So he's just giving you like specific examples, okay? So I got a little bit of application here for you today. Wives, if you're, you may be married to an unbeliever, okay? Or maybe you're married to a husband who claims to be a Christian. He's a professing Christian, but the overall shape of his life shows a consistent pattern of disobedience to the word of God. I want to encourage you, if that's you, right? Persist in your faith. Don't give up. Okay? Don't give up. Trust the Lord. Let your faith be a testimony to your husband. Okay? God has called you to stay in a marriage, even though it might be a very difficult one to stay in it. Avoid the temptation to constantly nag your husband about being saved, nagging, 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 nagging about spiritual things. Because if he's unbelieving, he ain't going to want to hear it anyway. So you may be in a situation where you just got to love him and live through it and submit to the Lord and submit to him as much as you can. Okay, let your life be a witness with our words. Okay? Now, the, the scenario that I'm describing is um, very difficult. Okay, it's a very difficult thing. If you know any women that are uh, married to an unbeliever, we need to be praying for them a lot and loving them as much as we can, because that is a very difficult situation. Many of us are blessed with being at home with spouses or siblings or whatnot that are saved. And can you imagine being at home and you're the only Christian there? Could you imagine what that would be like? 
So we need, if we see these types of situations, we need to be praying for these people a lot. Okay? Single women. This text is not telling you that it's okay to date a, a, a non-Christian man. That is complete foolishness. Okay? That's not what this text is saying. That is not acceptable. Do not do that. Okay? You are free to marry anyone you wish as long as he's in the Lord. Okay? That's 1 Corinthians 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39. You're free to marry whoever you want as long as he's in the Lord. Okay? The goal, the goal of courtship and dating is to find a spouse. That's the goal. So it does not make any logical sense to even waste your time dating somebody that's not a Christian. Do not waste your time. It is going nowhere fast. Do you understand? Don't even waste your time. That takes us to verses uh, 3 and 4. And uh, it's on your handout. It's called Real Beauty. Real Beauty. It says, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold uh, jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. So basically, he's explaining to you what real beauty is, what true beauty is, and that Peter is saying that real beauty is not built around externals. It's not external in, uh, adornment, but around a life that cultivates godliness and love. Okay? So the adornment that God desires is not external, but internal. Okay? God wants your heart. Okay? Wives, he's saying, don't focus so much on your hair and your jewelry and your clothes, but on who you are in Christ. Okay? And then he further defines it as this internal beauty as a gentle and quiet spirit. You've been to Walmart. You've seen that lady cussing her kids out, screaming, acting a fool, who, and slapping on her boyfriend. Nobody, that is, that is miserable. Don't be that lady. And don't be the chameleon that does it low-key either. That's just as bad. Okay? Don't be that woman. So gentleness is required of all Christians, not just wives, I do want to say that. But gentleness and quietness is often necessary in order for you to submit. You understand what I'm saying? To be loud and boisterous and contentious, if that is the, 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 uh, the shape of your personality, that's gonna be very, it's going to be very difficult for you to submit. Okay? So, again, Peter's emphasizing that internal, internal adornment and then he said, look here in verse 4, he says it's very precious. That's the same words that he uses for when he describes Jesus as the cornerstone in the, in the previous chapter, chapter, right? That it's very precious. So this term, very precious, it's a financial term. So don't think precious like you see a little baby girl and like, oh, she's so precious. Don't think that. Okay, think precious like diamonds and rubies, precious. Okay? 
And what Peter has in mind, he's contrasting the value, the value of a godly life in contrast to the external adornments like a, a braided hair, gold jewelry, and fine clothes, okay? So what he's saying is, is that he's not forbidding you. He's not saying, don't wear jewelry, don't do your hair, uh, don't wear nice clothes. He's not telling you to walk around here looking busty. That's not what he's saying, right? He's saying he's speaking against a life that puts a higher priority on these things than on godly things. That's what he's saying. If you're putting a higher priority on your clothes and your makeup and your hair and what you look like externally, you put a higher priority on that than you are on cultivating a heart for the Lord, you've misplaced your value. You've not, you, don't have, you have not put enough value on that internal beauty is what he's saying. That makes sense to you? So first and foremost, he wants you to cultivate an inner godliness. Okay? Because what matters to God most is your inner beauty, not your out outside beauty. He's more concerned with your heart and your character than he's concerned with what you look like. It's going to be a whole lot of beautiful people in hell. Okay? Don't get caught up in the excesses of external beauty, right? You, we have to place value on what God places value the most on. 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord does not look at things of man. I'm sorry, the Lord does not look at the things of man the way that man does. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Okay? So I got a question. Ladies. Do you spend more time on your beauty process than you do on your soul? Do you spend more time putting on makeup and doing your hair and getting dressed than you do with cultivating a godly life? Okay? Do you put the same energy, the same time, the same effort into prayer and, and, and into Bible study and into fellowship with the saints as you do into making sure that you look good. Okay? So now when he talks about, he's not, so this passage is talking about modesty. Here's one of the problems, problems that, so modesty is not just showing off too much skin. Or I'm sorry, you know what I'm trying to, being immodest is not, doesn't just mean showing off too much skin. Okay, it's any unnecessary display. Uh, it could be finance. Like I'm, you could be showing off like how much money you have, right? You could be showing off too much skin. You could be showing off a whole bunch of stuff that you, you're trying to grab attention with something else other than your godliness can be immodest. You understand? Men, I need y'all to get y'all head around this, for real, Okay? I really need you to understand this, okay? Whenever we talk about immodesty, right, the fight is always this. Sister, you need to stop wearing that because you're going to make men fall. There's some truth to that. But I need you men, listen to me. When you're hearing a woman fight for her right, right, to be immodest, that's trouble. Do you understand that, that she's trouble? 
do you know what she's going to do to you? Right? If you are attracted to women who are dressing inappropriately, you need to recognize that's a sign of the disposition of your heart. You're like, you are loving the wrong things. Do you understand? You're being tricked. That's proper. That woman is sucking you in with that honey and, and going to lead you to, to the grave. You loving the wrong things. Okay? And just as, just as a practical thing, oh, this, this, thing, this whole situation, this entire conversation drives me nuts. Okay? Ladies, you should, you should care if your brother in the Lord is stumbling. You should just care. Okay? You have a Savior who died because he took responsibility for your sin. That's Christianity. You should care about that. Secondly, here's the other thing. And I'm pretty sure you haven't considered this. Okay? We talk about this all the time. Think about this. Just, just stay with me. Let's say I'm out with my wife. She's dressed very inappropriately. The only men, this has never happened, by the way. I'm just using her so y'all will get the point. Okay? She's dressed very inappropriately, right? You're out in public. The only men that's going to bounce their eyes are the godly men. You understand that, right? The only men that are going to look away are the men that's trying to follow Jesus. Everybody else looking. Everybody else looking. Right? Now, you're going to find one of these ungodly men. What's going to happen <clears throat> the day when one of these ungodly men approaches her and says something to her very disrespectful? Right? Now, I got a decision to make. I'm either going to defend her honor or I'm not going to say nothing. I'm in a lose-lose situation. Do you understand? I am in a lose-lose situation. And this applies to you ladies when you're out with your dad, when you're out with your blood brother, when you're out with one of your brothers in the Lord that you're not dating. That situation applies to them too. You are putting that man in a very precarious situation that I'm certain that you haven't thought about. Okay? Because he has a decision. He's either going to defend your honor, right, which could quite potentially lead to violence. Amen, men? Or he's going to be quiet and not say anything, and then he's going to lose your respect. Because what's going to happen is the light bulb going to go off on one day, and you're going to be like, that man said that very disrespectful thing to me, and you didn't even say nothing to him. I guarantee you, y'all haven't thought about that. So men, if you see a woman, and you think she's attractive, and you think she starts fighting for the right to be, to dress like a harlot, run. Run. Ladies, consider your, this is not just about, this is about your father too. You think I'm gonna let some dude talk crazy to my daughter? Do you actually think that that's getting ready to happen? So she have dressed, now I gotta deal with some dude? I have no, you have no control over what's happening in that situation. Consider the men in your life when you put your clothes on. Okay? That's all we're asking you to do. That's it. Just consider the other people around you. Another word of application here 
for the husbands in particular. <clears throat> do, you, do you lead your wives to cultivate godly character? Because you could be the reason that she's so concerned with her beauty. Like your only concern could be like, I just want you to be a trophy. I just want you to be beautiful. That's all, your biggest concern could be just that, men. You could be leading her to that. Are you leading, what are you actively doing to, to lead her to God, to Christ, to cultivate a godly character? Okay, husbands, what are you doing actually? Does her physical beauty matter so much that you encourage her to spend this much time on her clothes and her makeup and all this other stuff and less time on her inner beauty? You could be the catalyst for that, man. You gotta ask yourself, is that you, okay? Does your wife naturally spend a lot of her time pursuing physical beauty? And if so, ask yourself, how can you lead her to emphasize her spiritual beauty more? Maybe it could be that you just dropped the ball and didn't do your job, okay? So the single men, as I told you, there's gonna be a lot of application here, right? Single men, listen to me. What are you looking for when you're trying to find a wife? What are you looking for? What are you looking for? Are you just looking for somebody who's beautiful? Are you just looking for somebody who's externally attractive? And I'm not saying the Bible, the Bible, like you should care. You, it's okay if you are attracted to somebody. Beauty's a good thing, right? But all too com it's all too common for a single men to make physical beauty the first thing that they look for and prioritize it way more than they should. Young men, you prioritize beauty far more than you should, okay? So, like I said, men, listen to me. This is an area that you can, you can, it's like a thermostat for your spiritual life. You hear me? If you got a young son or you a young man or a single man, this is a thermostat for where you are in your spiritual life. Are you attracted to things, to women that you shouldn't be? Solely on external. You got to find that out. Also, do you, uh, are you uh, paying attention to the godliness in a woman? Are you actually even paying attention to it? Or are you just so captivated by our beauty that you don't even, that's not even part of the equation no more? That is a temperature, that is a thermostat for where your heart is at in the Lord. Okay? Also, do you act in such a way that the women around you know that you value godliness first? Do, do you understand that? Do the women around you understand if I want to attract this man, I can't dress like that. I can't act like that. I got to be a godly woman. Do they know that? Do they know that? Okay? Again, ladies, physical beauty is a good thing. It's not the ultimate thing. Okay? I understand that young ladies want to be considered beautiful and attractive. And, and, like, and Peter's not forbidding that, right? He just don't put an overemphasis on the externals is what the, what the scriptures are saying, okay? Ladies, you got to be careful here. You got to be careful the same way the men have to be careful, but in a different way, right? So listen, I need you to think about this, right? If you, ladies, if you rely solely on your physical beauty to win a man's heart, what's going to happen if that's what you captured him with? It wasn't about godliness. It wasn't about anything else but how beautiful you are, ladies. What's going to happen when a, beautiful, a woman more beautiful than you show up on the scene? What's going to happen? 
That's the kind of man that you won for yourself, right? You, didn't, you wasn't concerned with his godliness. You wasn't concerned with anything like that. All you was concerned with was how that, oh, I got him because I'm so beautiful. Well, whatever you catch him with, somebody else could catch him with. If he's not godly, that makes sense to you? What's going to happen when your beauty starts to fade? Because it's going to happen. Okay? It's going to happen. Proverbs 31, 30 says this, Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Okay, so some translations say that beauty is fleeting. So in other words, so this verse is saying that beauty is deceptive and it's fleeting. It's both of those things. It's transitory, right? And it's deceptive, but it deceives women and men differently. Okay, so men... It deceived men like this. Oh, she's so beautiful. And all they could see is the beauty. And then so they think, oh, this would be a great woman to be in a relationship with because she's so beautiful. Not remembering that that's not going to always be the case. Then you got to just deal with a terrible attitude. Okay, and it's very, quite very possible to hate a pretty person. Okay, pretty people are super irritating sometimes. They can be, let me say it that way. <laughs> Not generally, <laughs> they can be, okay? And then here's the thing, this is how it deceives women, okay? So with women, you overestimate physical beauty, you overestimate its power and its longevity. You understand, women? Your beauty is gonna deceive you too. You're gonna, over you're gonna overestimate the power of it, you're gonna over overestimate the longevity of it. You're going to look in the mirror, and you're going to be like, I'm 30, I still got it. Right? And in a flash, it's going to be gone. And because you didn't cultivate a godly life, now nobody wants to deal with you because you're terrible. You're, you're a terrible human being. Okay? So if you've drawn a man based solely on your physical beauty, if that's all you're using to draw a man to you, you're going to win that beauty... When that beauty fades, you are going to be a complete nightmare to somebody. Okay? So any potential husband should be attracted to you, ladies, but he should be attracted to your godliness first and foremost because that's never going anywhere if you know the Lord. It's what he says. He says that this beauty, this inner beauty, in verse 4, is imperishable. It's like salvation, okay? You could get old, you could get overweight, you could get in a car wreck and get your face all messed up, but you still know the Lord, you still got godliness, and if that man knows the Lord, you're still beautiful. Amen, hallelujah. Okay? So this is the way, this is the way I always ask the question. Would that man pick you with his eyes closed? Would he pick you with his eyes closed? You understand what I'm getting at? If he could not see you, if he was blind, if all he had to go off of was your godliness and your personality, would he marry you? If you flinch, you got your priorities in the, in the wrong place. That makes sense to you? Can people see your character by the way you live it out among the people of God? Among the people of God. Get around some of these older women men, and you interested in a woman, a young lady, just ask them, 
what do you think about that woman's godliness? And then don't say nothing, just listen and let them women talk. They'll tell you the truth. That woman, she'll say, that woman don't know Jesus. Run. She's going to tell you to get on the first thing smoking and run. She's going to point you to another lady over here that you probably don't think is as beautiful, but her soul is far more beautiful, and she's going to do far more for you in your life and your children's lives than you could ever imagine because she know Jesus, and this woman just, just, just pretty. Okay? That's one of the functions of the church. That's one of the functions of the older saints in the church. That's one of the functions of your father. That's one of the functions. They're not looking for the same thing y'all looking for. I'm not. Yeah, listen, when, when my, I got three sons at home. When they get married, th- their mother's not looking at the same thing they're looking at. Right? So godliness, godliness is precious. That's what the scripture says. It's imperishable and it's precious. And that's what we should be looking for. And that's what young ladies should be trying to cultivate. Amen? Now let's pray. I'm going to do the, I'll come back. I ran out of time. I'm going to do the husbands next week. Our God and Father, Lord, thank you, Lord, for giving us your word, God, and straightening us out, putting us on the proper path, Lord, and helping us, God, to reorient our lives in a way that is glorious to you and good for us, oh God. Lord, our unbelief is constantly there in our hearts, God, but we pray by, by the power of your spirit that you would help us, God, to turn our eyes and our affections to you, Lord. Help us, O oh God, by the aid of your spirit. Sing Christ's holy name. Amen.